Hey, real quickly. Yes. How, how, how is your soul? My soul? Your soul. Can, you know, hold on. Can, I know where you're going with this. Can I say something? Yeah, what, go for it. I did not. This is two weeks old. I did not say anything to you when Texas beat Alabama mm-hmm. last week at all. I know you're a big you, Alabama you fan. You don't care about my soul. No, I do care. That's about why you didn't ask me. No, no, I would have made I fun lost of you. to Texas. You did not even comment because... You don't care about my soul like I care about it you. Would have, I care about your soul. It would have been more making fun of, not caring. Not me. Well, I show up as a true friend. Okay. To right. say, how is your soul? My soul is good. I broke my toe this weekend. Kicking the couch? I could not watch that football game any longer. Okay. And I didn't kick the couch. My toe got caught on the uh, As you're the couch. kicking. As I was walking away aggressively. Okay. So many people may not know this about you, and it's proof that two people can put their differences aside and right. potentially be friends. Sure. Me and Flip mm. are friends. We are. That you are a loyal Tennessee fan. Hardcore to ball, the core. Ball fan. Yeah. Like hardcore. You have season tickets even. Uh, yes. And and in that, never invited me to go. I have one. One seat. Who who gets season tickets? Would you? You have no friends. First of all, it was no, no, no. You, you. Let's back up. You okay. have a season ticket. One, one, one season. So you sit by yourself with random strangers. They're not. When you're in Neyland Stadium, you're sitting close to a hundred thousand of your best friends. So there's you're everybody all, around. You're there. all kin. Well, cousins. No, that's Alabama. That's you guys. Oh, now there you go. See, there you go. But you're okay. You lost to Florida. I thought you were going to make it. I'm used to it. Um, I thought you would win. I I literally thought you would Everybody, even on game day, they all chose chose, uh, Tennessee. Gators. I know. I almost lost too, but you know, eh. It's Saban, Nick Saban, and you know it's it's. I'm not here to talk about football. I wanted to. I care for your soul. Okay. And I want everybody out there to know. Okay. That I. Yeah. Mark. Sure. Chuck. Charles. Chuck, Charles. Yeah. Cares about flip. Are we going to do the podcast the week of the Tennessee Alabama game? Oh. Are we going to be able to do that? Oh no, I'll be. I'm going to beat you. No, no, you. I'm going on the podcast. What happened last right year? Now. You beat me in in Gatlinburg. Pigeon Forge. Me I remember. And you, I remember. Me and you are sitting in Pigeon Forge at the old smoky right. moonshine shack it place was great. where yeah. they do bluegrass. It was great. I love bluegrass. So yeah. We're hanging as friends, yeah. right? And just chilling. Right. And Alabama is playing Tennessee. Great game. And you take me in your sinful ways sure. into where? A bar that's showing the game, right? Your sinful uh, habitual habits take me, a holy man, sure, into a bar yeah. to sit with big screen TVs everywhere, and I am the only human in that bar right. with an Alabama shirt on. I would like to it's say this: nine hundred Tennessee fans yes. and me. I would like to say this: if it had gone the other way, I would have protected you. I would have. Okay. I would have. I got because it got ugly for it a little bit. They, they were shouting bit. me down because I was winning for a minute and I was pointing <laughs> at everybody in the bar. I'm not scared of you. I was letting them know. I had your back. Uh, I know. But I was letting them know that I'm a proud Alabama fan. And uh, I lost. And I'm saying publicly that that day I lost. I made a bet that I would get a tattoo. And you, know I, you did. I did. But you as a friend, because I was going to get the tattoo. I let you off. I let you let me off. I want everybody out there to know you of your own love for me. I did. Let me off the hook of getting a tattoo. My wife thanks you. That's what friends do. 
Well, thank you, because I was willing to go for it, but you said, nah, dude. And you know what you said that I like better? You said, just take me out to get Mexican food. And you did. And I did. And it, we did. called it even. We're good. It was, uh, you know, so thank you. I will say this, though. I felt bad because for about 10 years, you and I had a $20 bet on the game, and every year I was like, hey, double or nothing. And I just assumed at one point that we were, that I was going to get that bet, win that bet. And and we did. I did. Yeah, you so, you owed me $680. I wasn't due for a solid <laughs> grand. Just, I, yeah, you, know. you, you were close to a grand, but I just kept, you know, hey, just pay me next year. Double nothing Double next nothing. year. You were up to $680. You finally won. I did. So uh, I was going to talk about the rat. Well, I'm moving the rat to yeah, next we week. Talk. Okay. No, I'm okay. going to move him to next okay. week. I'm going to stick on down. football for a minute. I want to banter just a moment about football. Okay. Uh, there is a Tennessee, Alabama right here live on, on the podcast. Right. We going to bet? Oh, you know, last year it was a tattoo or mm-hmm. I don't remember what the other side of it was. You get a tattoo or was it both tattoos? Both tattoos, yeah, yeah. I mean. You would get one of Bama. I would get one of Tennessee. You know, that would just crush my soul. It would crush your soul. Oh, and I care about your soul. Yeah, well, sure. think about something, but I'm going to go on a limb. I'm going to say I'm coming for revenge. I, I think I think Georgia is going to win the whole yeah, thing of course. Again. I, of course. I don't see anybody. They're the team t- to be. Yeah. I don't see anybody going to touch them right now. Right. Although I, I like them. I live here, but Bama's, Bama's my team. I'm going that I'm going to beat you. Okay. And let's go for... Um, how about mellow? You like mellow mushroom? I love mellow mushroom. mushroom pizzas. Deal. All right. Bring a friend. Bring a friend. And not your wife. Well, you, it's got to be guys. You're my only friend. Because if, so. guy, if girls come, if our wives come, me and you never get to talk. It's true. We just sit there and stare at each other. Right. So you can bring a friend. Okay. I, I don't have any friends. So if I win, it would be, well, I do, but most of them have jobs. Well, that's what I'm saying. You're my only friend. So bring yeah. a friend. It would so, be like, hey. So that's the deal. Mulla Mushroom, bring a friend. Okay. Alabama football. Okay. Uh, loser pays. Okay. Uh, Mulla Mushroom and hire will do I, If we win, not only that, I would like for you to sing Rocky Top for to start the podcast off with. For you, I will sing Rocky Top if and um, and you have to do Sweet Home Alabama. Okay, deal. You sing well too. I ah, think. Not anymore. Oh, I'm true. But so, what you got for me? Today? What was the topic of the podcast? I think we're making a difference. I think we're um, touching some folks. Yeah, absolutely. So, thank you so much. We got a lot of kickback. Good kickback on regret. And yeah, I've enjoyed. It was that. great. So, what do you got today? I think today we need to talk about resentment. Oh Jesus! And uh, how to handle that when a spouse or a friend does you wrong, does you dirty. How do you get over that? And I think a lot of it is easier said than done because hurts run deep when it's somebody close or whether it's a spouse. And so uh, I think we need to chat about that today. Yeah. I, I don't want to become a lifetime movie. Right. right. My, I don't I don't want to have such resentment. They go, hey, let's watch this show about a preacher that lost his mind and murdered his best friend. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so resentment, man, that's a deep. It is. Uh, yeah. So here's my first talk. I, I will go with resentment is is the outworking of anger when you were treated in a way that you did not feel was justifiable yeah sure right so it's going to be connected to what you feel was a justifiable response toward a person sure right? so now that happens all the time uh, unjustifiable responses of people happen all the time so it, there's no way around it if you live on planet earth the people you work with uh, random strangers waiters sure. waiters, who, whoever it doesn't matter you will always have the opportunity to have a 
uh, gosh, a response to how they've treated you in, in the way you think you were justified to be treated better. So right. one thing I'd have to say is it, you cannot be a person of anger because that just throws the whole thing. But resentment is connected to that. Yeah. It's connected to a position of anger that is held on for a long time that seeks typically a revenge of justification, sure. whether God does it to them or they get karma, sure. right? Whatever we would, whatever word we would use. Well, I just resentment is, I hope they get it coming to them. They screwed me over. I hope they get it back. Yeah. Because everybody has a chance to get angry, but resentment is a deeper level of anger. Resentment sure. looks for revenge. Resentment looks for the justifiable action that happens back to that person. And typically you would laugh at it, sure. right? Typically Typically, you would ha 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 at the whole thing. Right. So, I think the deepest form of resentment comes in two forms. Number one, a friend. Because of a friend, you don't expect on the surface to be hurt deeply. Right. You do know you'd disappoint each other and you can get irritated with each other, but you work it out. Uh, number two is a spousal resentment. It's something that was done to you that you just can't get over. So what I do find about resentment on the surface is that something unjustifiable, in your opinion, has happened to you and you feel stuck because you can't get over it. You right. can't get over what was done. You, the, the knife stabbed in the back, the best friend that did you wrong. The How do you get past that? How do you make the decisions first as a, as a human? Right. Because Christian or not, resentment, it rots you. It literally rots you. Sure. You become hyper-focused on the person that did you wrong. Every time you talk, everything you read uh, is about whoever did you wrong, friend or spouse. That I think both carry very, very deep hurts with yeah. them. Uh, in the Bible, the, the quickest form of I can find is at the very beginning with Adam and Eve having Cain and Abel, right? Uh, it's an interesting thought here about it. And I'll just throw this out and then I want to throw it over to you about how do you, how have you dealt with it? Maybe give us a story. I have lots of them of where yeah. I could have had potential to hold resentment just because in church, especially it's oftentimes highly relational anyway. Yeah, so you, you have a lot of opportunity to get hurt. You have a lot of opportunity to hurt other people, disappoint other people. So uh, one of the greatest places where resentment resides anyway is in, in the church. We get hurt by a pastor, hurt by a person, and we just shut down and, you know, kind of hope they get what's coming to them, you know, one day. But in Genesis chapter four, uh, Cain, the older brother, gets ticked at his younger brother and God shows up in verse six and he says to Cain, why are you so angry? So there's the, there's the moment that, that life is, can throw you a curve right. and, and anger is, is a potential mm -hmm. issue, but it goes deeper than that. He goes in and says, well, why do you look so dejected? 
In other words, the anger now is so deep that it's beginning to affect your countenance. Your, your, I made a joke at the beginning about your soul, right? right? But anger that's not dealt with, anger that's held on for a long time begins to corrupt your soul. Yeah. You can hang out with people who are just angry at life or people, and they bring into the room an attitude of, of dejection. Uh, it's what God said. He said, why do you look so dejected? So I'll say this, it, it sickens the soul. If you don't deal with anger, anger over a long period of time, your soul becomes sick. He goes on, this is God. He said, listen, you will be accepted if you do what is right, but now what would be the right thing? It would have been the right sacrifice, how he, how he's thinking about his brother. He said, you better watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. You must subdue it and master it. I think that resentment is not just, I've been done wrong and I'm really ticked. I think resentment is like a a, a disease that latches onto the soul. And it says this, God says it's crouching at the door. It desires to control and master you. That is the, that is what anger tries to do. Sure. Anger. We're all going to get angry. We're humans. We have emotions. So that's a normal response. I got mad. But when that anger turns into resentment, it, it latches itself to your soul. It sickens your soul and it crouches waiting to control you and master you. Uh, you can talk to people who hold resentment and 10 years later, you're like, you still talking about that? You're still talking about that same person, yeah. that same event, that same person that screwed you over five years later, you're still talking about that event. You can't get past it. You're going to remind everybody what they did. And I think that's because anger, which is an emotion, if not handled correctly, becomes something that controls you, masters you, sure. manipulates you. And ultimately, if you know the story and you go on reading the story, Cain does ultimately take out revenge on his brother, kills his brother, and God shows up. And now Cain's out there wandering because what resentment will do is it will isolate you. It will isolate you from deep friendships because you won't trust him anymore. Yeah. And it will isolate you from uh, opening up and just being transparent with people because I don't want to get hurt again. I don't want to get stabbed in the back again. Sure. So you may get married a second time, but if you hold resentment, your next spouse will pay the price of the old one. Of course. You may have another friend, uh, but you'll always be looking over your shoulder. So I, I would start there that anger can be a normal response to a hurtful behavior, sure. but you cannot hold on to that anger and not deal with it. I love what he said, rightly, right? You have to deal with anger in the right way. Otherwise resentment builds up and then you become a sick soul. And when you're a sick soul, this is my opinion. Everybody around you pays the price. Yeah. Your children, your wife, your friends, even God, you're mad at God because he didn't quote justify you. That's just, that would be the beginning. I'll, I'll give a scripture in a minute and something that I've learned to do to get over it. But give me a story. And since you pick resentment in your life where maybe a friend, a, uh, uh, you know, life event, something happened that, that allowed that resentment to start building up. Yeah, sure. I was, I'll give you a story and I'll give you three quick verses that I wrote down that helped me through it. Uh, I was serving at a church. It was my first full-time gig as a, I call it a gig, but it was my uh, first time as a worship pastor. And um, I was 
single. I was young. I was early to mid-20s. I had just left Cleveland, Tennessee, the mothership, as we've kind of joked around about. And I was an associate music pastor at one of the churches there. Actually, my title was orchestra director and staff arranger. And so when I left there, I went to uh, a church to be the head guy. I was the worship pastor. I mean, we had great success. We were in a building program. My choir went. I had a choir back in the day, if you can imagine that. And we went from 17 to 51 members within a year. We were rocking and rolling. I got there. The pastor uh, ended up being my best friend. We did everything together. I was single. I went over to his house to uh, eat. His wife would cook food for me. I would do dinners over there. He would come over to my house and watch football games. We would golf twice a week. We were as close as, uh, I guess, a pastor and a worship pastor can be. Uh, We went on vacations together, that kind of a thing. Uh, And about uh, two or three years into it, he came into my office one day and said, hey, uh, Phil, I have it. it, I don't remember the name of it, but it was some kind of intestinal disease. And he said, "I, I have been told that I need to take about six months off. And so I'm leaving you in charge. The, the church is yours. The denomination that I was with, uh, he said, they were, they're going to step in and, and help out with some things, but uh, you're going to have to run the staff and take care of Sunday services and all that kind of stuff for six months. And the caveat is you can't call me because uh, stress uh, induces more of what's ever going on in my intestines. And so I said, absolutely, I got you. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to contact you for six months. Well, uh, about uh, not quite a month into it, I had a family from the church that came and sent my office and said, hey, uh, the pastor has been having an affair with my daughter and we have pictures and videos to prove it. And uh, so I said, well, this can't be true. I'm always going to take up for him. And so I said, this can't be true, even though I'm sitting there looking. And the videos were him pulling his car into the garage, garage door shut and that kind of a thing. Pictures of them holding hands together out and that kind of a thing. And so I call him uh, every day for a week, a couple times a day for a week, not knowing what to do. Well, my instructions were don't call me, go to the administrative offices and talk to them. And so I said, uh, after, uh, you know, not being able to get a hold of him, that's what I did. I said, well, I got to go to the guys who I'm submitted to. So I go, I tell them the story. Long story short, as soon as I come out of the administrative offices, he calls me and says, hey, dude, what the heck are you doing? Why are you throwing me under the bus? I can't believe this. And I said, well, man, I've been calling you every day for a week. I didn't know what to do. So I went here. So he comes back to the church and it was completely different. As a matter of fact, one, I mean, it was the worship pastor. We had a large choir worship was incredible. It was great. Church was growing. Comes in my office and says, uh, hey, Phil, he said, I just want you to know that, you know what, we're just going to do about 15 minutes worth of worship every Sunday. And then you're just going to hand the service over to me. I don't want any more than 15 minutes. I don't want 16 minutes. I don't want 15 and a half. I want 15 minutes and that's all I want you to do. And, um, and so I said, okay, that's weird. We would 30, 45 minutes of worship. So after a month of that kind of relationship, I went into his office, maybe two months, whatever it was. I walked in his office. I was hurt. I was upset. And I, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to resign. There's obviously something here that I don't really understand. You won't talk to me. Even still, you won't uh, return phone calls and that kind of thing. And he pretty much says, good go. And so I took six months. Um, and I was fortunate because I had a guy and I moved to Louisiana where my family was. And I got involved with a church there. And I had a pastor that said, listen, come to the church here and uh, I'm going to hire you just to sit and talk with me and we're going to get through this and you're going to get back out in ministry because I was hurt. I was angry. That anger, you're so right. Anger and resentment are hand in hand. And so every morning for all you older listeners, I went to Shoney's at about 
seven in the morning and I talked to this pastor, big boy, uh, big boy, man. And, uh, so, and there were a few verses and, and I'll say this, it, it was, it's, I said in the beginning, it was so much, uh, easier said than done, but there are a couple verses. One's in Proverbs 19 and 11. And it says this, it says, sensible people control their anger. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. And, and I'm cool with that and I can dig that. But my initial response to that was, I don't really care about the respect of men. I'm mad. I'm angry. I don't care if the people around me respect me. But then that led me uh, to James 1, 19 through 20. And it's a verse we all know, but I don't think we finish it. It says, it's. I think most safe people know this verse, quick to listen, uh, slow to speak and slow to get angry. We, we know that part. But the last part of that says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So I may be able to brush off the respect of men, but not so easy with the, the righteousness of God. It doesn't go away so easy. And then there's Luke 635. These are three verses that really helped me through this. And this is one of those verses that we kind of joke around sometimes like, I don't like this verse. I kind of wish God had not even put that uh, in the Bible because I, I don't I don't like it. And it says this, it says, love your enemies, do good to them, uh, lay, uh, lend to them, without expecting to be repaid, then your reward from heaven will be very great. And then you will truly be acting as children of the most high. And then it says this, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. And it it goes on to say that sinners are even kind to those who love them, but it takes something special to be kind to an enemy. And that was not an overnight thing for me. That was a process of about six months. And I, the keys for me were, were kindness, forgiveness, and love. You've got to forgive whomever that may be. If it's a best friend, if it's a spouse, and that's not something, now this is my experience, that's not something that's going to happen overnight. It happened with praying, it happened with getting in the presence of the Lord and worshiping and all that kind of stuff. But to really get it inside of me, I had to learn to forgive and love. And I, man, there's a, I, I kind of feel this. I, I don't have this in my notes, but if you'll think about the story of David, I, I love David. There's a story there where David says, we all know the story of David and Saul, tumultuous relationship, right? Saul tried to kill David. It was, it's a crazy story of, of jealousy and murder. And David comes and says, uh, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness to him? And the servants came back to David and and said, yeah, there's this one. And his name was Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was a cripple. He was the crippled son, grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan. And he says, "I, I want to see him. I want to show kindness to him. And they bring him in. And Mephibosheth, if I'm remembering right, was about five years old and he was fleeing a battle. And his uh, servant, his nurse, dropped him. And I, I believe he broke his legs. He couldn't walk. And uh, David says, let me show kindness to this guy. And David says, you will always sit at my table. You will never want for anything. Uh, and I, I think if you, this is what I kind of feel I kind of feel if you understand the table of David when he said this, on one end of David's table, you have Solomon, who is the wisest, smartest guy in the world. You could literally ask Solomon any question in the world, and he would be able to answer that question. On the other side of the table, you have uh, Absalom, who was very good looking. He, for all you old, older listeners, he, he had long hair. He probably looked like Fabio. So when he did his head, you know, and swooped, 
squished it. He probably, the women swooned to him, right? And then on the other side of the table, you had Tamar, who was very, very, very beautiful to the fact that uh, she was ultimately raped by her half-brother. She was this beautiful uh, woman. And then in with his feet, grubbing against the cobblestones of the floor, uh, unkempt, unclean, stinky, crippled Mephibosheth comes in and David says, you're going to sit at this table and you're not going to want any more. As a matter of fact, if I remember right, David restored lands and wealth and said, Mephibosheth, this is your life now forever. And he comes and sits at the table of David. And I, I have to think that's when even God was like, man, David's got it. That is what I'm talking about right there. And I think that's a beautiful picture of, man, that resentment and, and anger and showing kindness and forgiveness. And I again, for me, it was not an overnight thing. It was a process. But I think that story of David is such a beautiful one of, of what to do and how to act against those uh, to really find the heart of God in the matter. Yeah, I, that's so good. That I, three things happened to me that I'll share that helped me get over resentment anger. First, let me say this, because do you realize something just happened? What? It's 2023 and you just connected people to Shoney's and Fabio. That's what I do. That is incredible. That's what I do. How you brought the past (laughs) into the future with your brilliance. Okay. I'm 10 years old. Okay. I come home. My my dad, we were not wealthy, but my dad worked hard. Okay. He bought me a 10 speed bicycle, 10 years old. Loved it, man. I you could, I could go on that. I had a huffy bike, but now a 10 speed. So I'm really, I'm really rolling. Right. My bike got stolen. I came home from school crying. I couldn't believe this new bike was gone. It was brand new. Dad comes home from work. What are you crying about? Dad, my bike got stolen. And he said, well, sir. And I said, well, what are we going to do? We need to go to the police. We need to do something. He said, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're standing in the garage. He grabbed my hand. He said, we're going to forgive the guy that stole your bike. Wow. And he said, you're going to pray this prayer after me. And so I grabbed his hands. I thought, my dad's an idiot, right? Mm-hmm. I just want my bike back. And I want the guy that stole it to be arrested and go to prison right, forever. For of his life and have his head chopped off in the gallows. <laughs> so, uh, my dad grabbed my hand and he said, son, pray this after me. It was very, I, I remember it well. So he said, father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. I give them my bicycle so that you will not hold it against them in eternity. Right. They did not steal it from me. I give it to them. Wow. And I just prayed the prayer and thought, my dad is ludicrous. Why would I give my bike to someone that stole my bike? And he said to me, because we don't want God to hold it against them, and God will always give you another bike. Right. Well, lo and behold, another bike comes. It's not the one stolen. But that stuck with me. It stuck with me that one way to deal with anger is to learn to forgive people even when you're, it's not justifiable forgiveness. Sure. It's not justifiable to forgive. The way you forgive someone is when they bring the bike back. 
not when they hold on to it, keep it, and you never get it back. Yeah, so sure. there's an aspect to anger that sometimes things won't change and you don't need to be holding on to it. It's good. They're not going to come back and tell you they're sorry. They're not going to come back and say, look, I screwed you over. I took your best bike or I stole your wife or I slept with your girlfriend or I fired you and hired somebody else and lied to you, right? The, I got done wrong. And so you, you have anger. But most people will hold on to that anger until somebody comes and says, well, I'm sorry. And, and then, then we forgive. Right. But what that taught me is to forgive up front, to forgive whether I ever get another response back. Right. I'm going to forgive that person, whether they ever come back and tell me they're sorry, they owe me nothing. Number two, I was uh, 1989. My wife, Monica, was killed by a drunk driver. And so the lawsuit was moved into federal court because I had moved to Oklahoma to go to school. The lawsuit was in Georgia, but I'm now a resident of Oklahoma. So federal court, everything is in my favor. My lawyers were going for a $4.5 million lawsuit. I was in my early 20s thinking I'm going to be a multimillionaire because of this tragedy that this guy did to me. Right. And I'm sitting at a red light home in Statesboro, Georgia, and I hear in my heart, forgive him. Do not sue him. He owes you nothing. I'll be the one that'll bless your life. And I thought, that's crazy. I can have $4.5 million. I need justification for my wife. Sure. She needs to be justified for the very sin of this guy's drunken behavior. And I remember calling my lawyers and I remember telling them, I said, hey, I want to drop the lawsuit. I don't want to sue for $4.5 million. I just want the insurance. Whatever the insurance was on my wife and the vehicle, I want that back. I want to let that guy go. He owes me nothing. They were shocked, of I'm course. Sure. And I was shocked. I've, I've, but I would rather obey God in my heart than to live angry and bitter with money that was connected to anger and bitterness. So I, I chose to trust rather than uh, vengeful behavior to this guy. He's going to get what's coming because he screwed me over by God. I'm going to screw him over. And I would have liked to have, I would have liked him to have gone to prison or paid me out a lump sum so I could live a happy life. But I understood you can't live happy when you're resentful because what I rose in my heart is, is I, I will reward you, Mark, not someone who's hurt you. And a lot of times when someone hurts us, we're looking for the reward to be them. What happens to them, the pain they go through. If they go through pain, that's my reward. If they suffer hell, that's my reward. Right. If they're screwed up too, then that's my reward. So I was learning two things. Number one, forgive without expecting anything back, an apology. So let's say a wife has done you wrong. You want her to come back and say, I'm sorry. She left you, left you for your best friend. Uh, you know, I want an apology. You may never get an apology apology, you have to learn to forgive before you ever get or will get an apology. Number two, you have to learn that your reward is in God, not your reward in the punishment of the people that hurt you. And there's something great about wanting to punish the people that hurt. Of course, me. sure. Uh, whether God gets them or karma gets them or whatever, they got what was coming to them. Number three, well, let me, let me back up real quick. I see the guy that killed my wife mm. Uh, about four months later, we were at a football game at Georgia Southern College. I'm walking into the gate with my ticket and standing at the gate holding a 12-pack of beer is this kid that killed my wife. Wow. 
And I'm standing there looking in his eyes. Never had met him. His lawyers did his thing. Mine did mine. I never met him. I knew him. I'm standing there looking at him, and I felt hate rise up yeah, in me. Yeah, sure. I felt like I was going to go up and punch him and throw all his beers down, and I'm walking into the gate, and it's weird. I have to walk right by him to get in the gate. He's standing there, and as I walk by him, I hear the voice of my earthly dad, forgive him and bless him. Wow. Right? And so I just walk by him and go, God, he owes me nothing. I totally forgive him. Whatever you do with him great I'm going to forgive him he owes me nothing and I walked by the guy I never saw him again don't know where he's at to this day the third thing that I learned was I got really hurt by a dear friend you I always think that friends will never hurt you right like we're, we're just going to grow old together sure. that's kind of my mantra we can grow old together but not realize in human friendships there's emotions and likes and dislikes and I had a dear dear friend we did ministry together we went to the gym together we golfed together we laughed together we ate lunch together and long story short he's still in ministry today so I won't I won't call his name but uh, greatly hurt. I mean, it, it was just as ugly as ugly can be of, of, a, of one brother taking advantage of another brother in Christ. And you just look at it and go, oh, my God, like what in what in the world? And for a moment, I had a feeling of, well, I hope I hope he reaps what he sows. I hope he gets what's coming. Sure. He did it to me. Well, by God, one day it'll happen to him. You know, come on, Jesus. So the third thing I realized is that you can't hope somebody gets what's coming to them. Right. If you want to know whether your anger has turned to resentment, ask one simple question. Are you hoping they get what's coming to them. I want to read a scripture. Good. Rarely talked about. Rarely does anybody uh, read it because it's in a small book in the Old Testament of Obadiah. <laughs> but Obadiah, all around him, his enemies are, you know, coming and ravaging against them. And God is like, okay, you know, I'm going to stick up for you. I'm going to come and redeem you. And then this is what God says in verse 12 of Obadiah. He said, you should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to a different land. You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in the terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they suffered such calamity. You should not have gloated over their destruction when they suffered such calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they suffered such calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads killing any who tried to escape. You should not have captured the survivors and handed them over in their terrible time of trouble. I love what that verse says when you're watching bad things happen to other people that you feel like are justified. You feel like they deserve it. You feel like they got what's coming to them. Listen to this again, verse 12. You shouldn't have gloated and you shouldn't have rejoiced and you shouldn't have spoken arrogantly. So my wisdom, if you're struggling with resentment today and resentment uh, and anger, something has happened to you that's created anger and you can't get rid of that, you're holding on to it, you, you can't push yourself past that. I would say this, number one, need to come to a place to forgive first 
before you ever get an apology. Number two, you're going to have to come to a place to let God be your reward and not their suffering and not their punishment be your reward. Then number three, to come to a place to where you bless the people. What well, That's what Jesus said, right? Yeah. He said, bless those that, hurt, that harm you and do, despitefully use you. Right. Bless them. So uh, that friend of mine that really just, man, it just still stings today if I talk about it. But but I learned to wake up every day and go, God bless them. Yeah. They owe me nothing. I go back to that 10-year-old kid, right? They owe me nothing. Bless them, Father. They owe me nothing. If you can do that, resentment will never grab a hold of you. If you can forgive first before the apology, resentment will never get you. Good. If you can come to a place to say their punishment is not my reward, then resentment will never get you. If you can come to a place to say, God, I bless them. They owe me nothing. Then resentment will never take you over. And then here we sit 20, 30 years later across a table from each other. And the end result is this. We're still serving God. God has rewarded. God does justify serving him. And that's my take on it. That's good, man. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you next week. Hey, remind me. I will check on your soul. Oh, yeah. But we're going to talk about a rat. Okay. Man, have a great week. Thanks for listening to my dad's podcast. Make sure to follow along and help us by sharing this episode with someone you know. Thanks again. Have a great week. Thanks.